What's up, everybody? It's the Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. the Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and I am uh, pleased to be joined for the second time uh, with at Marcus underscore Mosher. Hello for the second time. What's going on, Elliot? Uh, we had a fun Thursday night with the uh, the Hall of Fame, the award ceremony, the MVP, the man of the year. We got, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. I was just enjoying that we we Marcus and I just taped a five minutes of the podcast and my microphone sucked. And so we had to start over because we're not perfect. So nobody's perfect. That's the theme I got from today. Uh, Marcus had a really and I had a really good uh, humdinger of a disagreement on the Cowboys. We'll share that with you guys another time. However, Marcus has some hot takes on the award ceremony. Number one thing that stuck out to you uh, from last night. What's the thing that that really you know, was it Demarcus Ware getting in? Uh, no, first of all, I just think it was a really strong class with Revis, Joe Thomas, and Demarcus Ware all getting in. Happy to see those guys, but gotta admit, there was one name on there that made me tilt my head a little bit. Okay, so l- let's hear it. Let's let's have so it. So first of Who all, let's it? let's name all of the the Hall of Famers because just in case you didn't see, it's Rondé Barber, Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware. Don Coriel as the coach slash contributor, Chuck Halley, uh, Joe Klecko, and Ken Riley were our three senior members. So, so I'm I'm curious here because number one, you were very critical of the Hall of Fame last year, not getting Demarcus Warren. So now he gets in, but there there's one guy that you don't feel like belongs. What what? Um, do you feel like the hall got it right this year, even though, because last year you really thought they got it wrong. Do you think even though they have a guy in there that you don't think should be there, that overall they did a good job? I think overall, yes, they did a good job. I think of the five, what do they call them? Current players or whatever. Uh, I think they got modern four era. Five yeah. Right. Yeah. Current. Era. I got to think they got four to the five, right? All right. So let's hear it on the guy they got wrong. I think Zach Thomas is a really, really good player. But there's no way in the world I'm taking him over Patrick Willis, right? There's just no way. Zach Thomas played in a 4-3 scheme his whole career, protected really well, made a bunch of tackles, made some big plays. But what Patrick Willis did in a 3-4 defense, his ability to blitz, take on guards and linemen and make tackles, I just – I don't think they were particularly close as players, but Hall disagreed. I don't disagree with you here. I, I think Patrick Willis is one of the most deserving guys out there. Patrick Willis is one of the best linebackers I've ever seen. Um, you're not, again, you're not going to get any argument from me on that point. I can tell you having been in that room that there's been a big push for Zach Thomas for a while now. And, you know, the way hall of fame voting is done is you have the presenter for that player is from the city that that player played in. In other words, they cover that team. And so it's going to be very rah-rah for each guy. So if it's a Bronco, it's going to be someone that, you know, for the, you know, Denver Post or whatever. If it's a Cowboys, it's going to be somebody from the Dallas Morning News. Personally, I think the Hall of Fame shouldn't do it that way. I don't think that people that cover a team in a city should be presenting players that played for that team. I think it creates a bias and it creates a rah-rah. And I'm not saying that Zach Thomas doesn't deserve it. I'm not. Um, But I do agree with you that there's no way I would take him over Patrick Willis. What's hurting Patrick Willis is the short breadth of the career. So what I would ask you is, 
did it upset you that Terrell Davis made it or Tony Baselli made it? No, no, not at all. Baselli was the best offensive lineman in the league for five years. I care way more about to use an Elliot Harrison word, the crescendo of a player's career <laughs> yeah. than I do the longevity. Uh, let's talk about the other guys. Were you surprised about Rondé Barber? Because I sure was. I did not see that one coming. He's been out there for a while now. He's got the numbers. When you saw Rondé Barber, did you think, man, this is a Hall of Fame player? I'm okay either way on that one. Uh, because I think he's borderline. Um, I'm fine with it. I personally, I wish Devin Hester would have got in ahead of Rondé mm-hmm. Barber, but I mm-hmm. understand why Barber did it because of the numbers and being such a unique player. You know, I, I wouldn't say that Barber is not a Hall of Famer. I just, again, having been in that room, uh, it was tough sledding for him. Um, and so obviously he hasn't made it yet uh, until now. I think it helped this year that they didn't have um, a, a ton of like big names, Marcus, that were coming available this year. I know obviously coming eligible, obviously Joe Thomas was mm-hmm. kind of a no brainer. Did you feel like Darrell Revis was a no brainer? Yes, absolutely. You know, I would also pick up with uh, where just to double back to li- last year, very critical this year, he made it at the end of the day. Does it really matter? You know, given that he's made it in his second year to you that he didn't make it last year, or do you still feel because I, when I think of first ballot guys, as much as I think DeMarcus Ware is a deserving player, I always think of like the top of the top, like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, um, you know, Reggie White. I don't necessarily put Ware in that automatically has to be first ballot category. Or was it more for you about just the other guys that made it in the class over him? That That's what it was for me is that I thought they put lesser players in than DeMarcus Ware just because of – we need we want where to wait his turn, right? Which I don't think is fair. I think you should just put the five best players in that are available every year. So um I'm glad that he got in. I'm no hard feelings to the rest of the Hall of Fame voters. For- <laughs> well, with uh Darrell Revis, obviously the crescendo was great for him. And at one time he he's a totally unique player, really, in NFL history, basically locked down one uh, entire side of the field. Another Jets defensive back not only made first team all pro this year, but defensive rookie of the year. I, you know, with all the other things that went on in the NFL this year, I think Sauce Gardner's year was kind of overlooked by some fans, uh, maybe just not just fans, but media too. I don't feel like even though he got defensive rookie of the year and he's first team all pro, he's not a guy that I saw talked about a lot for what an incredible rookie year he had this is a very rare honor to get this double dip as a defense which is back. why i'm shocked that he didn't I, i'm not saying he should have won the award but more consideration when it comes to defensive player of the year because i know i told you on the phone i thought he was the best corner in the league and you actually asked me a really good question uh about a month ago you asked me who was the best player in the nfl this year and i said it might have been sauce like seriously he might have just been the best player in the league so what an awesome season plus his teammate, Garrett Wilson, won the Offensive Rookie of the Year. So quite a day for the Jets. Did you have a problem with that award at all, at Offensive Player of the Year? Or rookie that of the year, one was me. a little harder because I thought Chris Olave had a really good rookie yeah. season. And then yeah. obviously Brock Purdy, you have to consider. Um, I do want to ask you about the way that they're voting now. So now it's ranked voting rather, mm-hmm. than, first, uh, rather than just giving first and second place votes out. Kenneth Walker for Seattle actually got the most first place votes 
uh, didn't win the award. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. Now, I interest of full disclosure here, I've never voted on any of these awards, but I have voted um, in things that the AP voters vote on, like the all-decade team. So um, they're done a little bit differently, and they tend to tweak these things. They tw- they've they've tweaked these things quite a bit, including the all-pro teams. What I would say is that if you got more votes – and it it ends up in you having a higher value over someone that got more first place votes. I don't think that that's unfair because basically what they're saying is, Hey, there are three or four really outstanding rookies this year. And we're picking the one that, excuse me, that basically got the most votes. And I, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Do you think though, that the guy that gets the most first place votes should be, the rookie of the year. It's a, it's an interesting question because that is a kind of a major departure. Not necessarily. Um, by the way, I agree with the voters that Garrett Wilson should have been the rookie of the year. I just thought it was interesting that the first time that we have ranked voting, we have somebody who got more first place votes that didn't end up winning the award. Yeah. I just look at it as kind of a grab bag. You've got three or four guys and you're going to, you're going to rank them, but the guy that ends up getting the most, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a draft day trade. Right. Mm-hmm. You could trade for one first round pick or you could trade for five second round picks. What would you rather have? I think I'd rather have the five second round picks than the first round pick. So uh, having the first place vote to me doesn't have to be the be all end all. Maybe that was a weird uh, yeah. analogy, but that's kind of where my mind went. Um, some of the other major awards, Patrick Mahomes uh, won MVP. I, I don't really know how much we can say there. I, I thought the biggest competition to him was Jalen Hurts and Hurts got injured at the end of the year. I don't know that this is really debatable. No, I think if Hertz would have stayed healthy for the final two, three games of the year and just put up average stats. Now we're having a really good discussion, but once he went down and once Kansas city locked up the number one seed felt pretty much like a lock that Mahomes was going to win the award. And he should, I thought he was the best quarterback in the league this season. I would say they don't consider postseason when they do the MVP award. In case you guys didn't know that, the postseason is not a part of it. It's a regular season award. But Mahomes certainly didn't do anything in the postseason to diminish uh, winning this award. So I I thought that was pretty easy. Offensive player of the year, rookie, or excuse me, defensive player of the year, a little bit different story. Um, How did you feel about these two? Because I thought there could be some dissension here. So... Justin Jefferson wins Offensive Player of the Year. I'm fine with There was a lot of really good receivers this year between Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Uh, I thought A.J. Brown had a really nice year. So I'm, I'm good with Justin Jefferson. Would you have put Josh Jacobs ahead of him? I was just about to say, what about Josh Jacobs? I, I mean, the guy had a phenomenal year. The Raiders passing offense, oftentimes, if you watch the Raiders this year, the passing offense either really worked or really didn't. And there were times it really didn't. The game that that Jacobs had against Seattle might have been the best individual offensive effort of the entire season, irrespective of position. Um, and I'm talking about quarterback as well. Do you have any issue with that? I mean, I, I can't think of a game that was more impressive. The only one that I would say would be Justin Jefferson's game against Buffalo uh, that he made a bunch of big plays, including, you know, that one catch to to set up their score. The one-hander, yeah, on fourth down was incredible. Jacobs had the game-winning run in overtime at Seattle. He kept the – he single-handedly kept the Raiders in the the playoff hunt for a while. 
Um, but I don't have any problem with Jefferson. Defensive player of the year is a little different story. You mentioned Sauce Gardner, which I was glad you mentioned that because I thought he should have been a candidate uh, for that as well. You had a tweet that basically said you thought Micah had this award taken from him here. Um, but I know on our podcast all year, you were all for Nick Bosa this year. You thought he was the guy. What changed your mind? Uh, Michael Parsons plays for the Cowboys and Bosa plays for the 49ers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, do you know what it was for me? And I know this is not fair. When you watch those two players play against each other, it, not really against each other, but their, their teams played against each other in the divisional round. I mean, Parsons was out of his mind in that game. He literally threw the right tackle into the air to get around him, made plays all over the field. Where Bosa made, you know, had a couple of nice rushes, but for the most part was handled, right? And I again, I know that does not go into who wins the award, but man, Bosa had an awesome year. I just think Parsons was maybe the best defensive player to leave the season. I have an aside about that game and what you just said, but uh, I'm curious, Pro Football Focus, who had a higher grade this year, Bosa or Parsons? I really don't know. Parsons. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, so if we throw Gardner into that mix, give me the case for Gardner over Parsons or Bosa. Mm. I mean, it's a lot. First of all, it's a lot harder to find consistent cornerback play. And to basically go, I think there's a 12-game stretch where he gave up fewer than 30 yards in every That's game. That's insane. That, it's dude, that, on, on top of that, he was covering the top receivers in almost every game. and. I just never had a bad game. Like there was not one game you can point to and say, ah, he really struggled. He was awesome every single week. Yeah. I, I want to go a little farther on this because I think it's a really good point you make about sauce. If you look at the jets, their pass rush was decent this year. That wasn't really the problem, but there were games in which their offense was non-existent. Yeah. Think about some of those Zach Wilson games. How many times, was Micah Parsons put in a horrible position? How many times was Nick Bosa put in a horrible position by the offense? Not nearly as many times as Sauce Gardner in the Jets' yeah. defense. And yeah. as a corner, you're running and running and running. If you're on the field too much, you're going to get tired. And as Jimmy Johnson famously said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And so it's it's tough to play that position when you're tired. Can I just say that I, I kind of hate hated the way that the Associated Press has um, – trying to think about the way to say this – how they've done this award because basically what it's turned into is it's a sack award, right? Yes. Whoever gets the most sacks this season is going to be the defensive player of the year. Look, just look at the last few years. Bosa led the NFL in sacks. Watt led the NFL in sacks. Aaron Donald led all defensive tackles in sacks. Uh, 2020, 2018, 2017, Khalil Mack led the NFL in sacks. Watt, 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 Suggs. James Harrison. Now there's a couple other guys sprinkled in there, but I don't feel like off the ball linebackers and secondary players get enough respect. I I know it's easier to look at a stat sheet and say, Hey, Joey Bosa had 18 sacks. Sauce Gardner had three interceptions. 18 sacks is better than three interceptions. You know, boom, there's our defensive player of the year award. I don't think that's fair at all. Well, I think the shining exhibit a of that would be Max Crosby last year. Uh, that you know, to me, I just could not understand uh, how people didn't see him as defensive player of the year. 
Uh, I know Crosby. 60, go ahead. He had 64 more pressures than TJ Watt did last year. That's a whole season for a really good edge rusher having 64 yes. pressures. Didn't even get a vote. It's it's ridiculous. That's why Zach Thomas's um, induction to the Hall of Fame doesn't bother me as much because it's more encouraging for me because the Hall of Fame, Marcus, has taken that same criticism. Jason Taylor made it on first ballot, uh, for example. Jared Allen did, still hasn't made it yet. And so they're they're starting to look at other things but besides sacks. And that that's encouraging. But I definitely get your point. Um, with Sauce Gardner, though, I, I think it's a really great point. And I could – you know, the more I, the more we talk about it, the more I'm thinking. You know what? Maybe he should have been defensive player of the year uh, as well. And as you, the, the high degree of difficulty of his position, I'll take it over what Micah does, even though Micah does a lot and what Nick Bosa does, especially as a rookie, especially as a rookie and on a team that couldn't get leads at all. Like, I, I, I'm trying to imagine what Sauce Gardner would look like on a team that consistently has a 10 point lead, and you have to throw on, you know, throw on him. Right, you can't just avoid him and all that kind of stuff. I, Sauce is a really good player. Jets fans should be really excited going into next year. Uh, going across town, same stadium. Uh, New York Giants. Brian Dable yeah. got the Coach of the Year. Uh, I had him second behind Pete Carroll, but I have no issue with this. I, I take it you don't either. I love it. I I love Brian Dable. I love that he he won this award. He took a team that a lot of people projected to finish like four and 13 at the bottom of the NFC East into not only a playoff contender, but a team that won a playoff game uh, on the road. So uh, congratulations to Brian Dable. Absolutely. Absolutely deserved it. You know, they went nine, seven and one, but they didn't play anybody the last week of the season. And they still gave Philadelphia all they could handle yep. in that final game, uh, resting all their guys. Uh, obviously the, the, the playoff game in Philadelphia didn't go their way, but I don't think anybody would ever have thought the Giants would have made it all the way, excuse me, nope. to the divisional round. And they had a great game plan in the game against Minnesota. Their offense moved the ball up and down the field. Uh, if you look at Daniel Jones's numbers in that game, they were unbelievable. Uh, anything, uh, I'm tr- trying to think, did we get everybody? We didn't get comeback player of the year. Uh, it was Geno Smith. Some people, I was just talking to a buddy of mine last night that kind of thought that this should go to somebody that had been hurt the year before. Um, Brandon Graham was a guy that had been hurt last year. He ended up with double digit sacks this year. I don't feel like though, the comeback player of the year award has to be with somebody who got hurt and came back from injury. If it is, then why not just call it that? I thought Geno Smith was the right guy to win this. I agree. But I also think the NFL needs a most improved player award because ah. I think that would, I think that would change some things, right? Because I think Geno wins that award and you probably give, the comeback player of the year award to maybe JJ Watt who was coming off a bunch of injuries and had a nice season or Brandon Graham or whoever. But yeah, I think with the way it's currently set up, I had no problem at all with Gino winning that award. I want to circle back. uh, Now that we've covered all the award winners circle back on the hall of fame. We didn't really talk about the senior guys. There are three guys uh, that made the seniors this year, Marcus, Uh, Joe Klecko, Ken Riley and Chuck Halley. They're not going to do this, by the way, forever. There's three. They're only doing it for three years where they put three senior guys in. It's kind of a way there's a there's an abyss of senior guys. And if you guys don't know how the Hall of Fame works, a player retires. There's five years where he's not eligible. And then after that, he's eligible for 20. Once that 20 years is up that he's eligible, if he doesn't make it, he goes into the senior pool, which used to only get one person 
Well, I've seen the senior pool and it's like 200 players deep and we're talking really good players. So just a short thing on each one of these guys. If you've never heard of them, Joe Klecko is the only player in NFL history to make the pro bowl at defensive end four, three defensive tackle and three, four nose tackle in the history of the sport. Uh, he had 20 and a half sacks as a defensive end and then ended up making first team all pros a nose tackle. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Ken Riley has 65 career interceptions, which is the second most of any pure corner in history. Uh, I want to ask you something about Ken Riley in just a second. And then the third guy was Chuck Halley. Chuck Halley's a guy I pushed for very hard when I was at NFL. I wrote about him in just about every Hall of Fame article I had. Chuck Halley has 43 career takeaways, which for a linebacker, off the ball backer, is an absolute ton. Mm -hmm. He has four career Super Bowl takeaways and if he hadn't tripped over his own feet in super bowl six he had a pick six he literally daniel jones did it about the 20 chuck Halley would have been a super bowl mvp Twice. two years in a row yeah. yes it's it's unbelievable chuck Halley, uh five-time all pro we should also linebacker. mention about chuck Halley, the only person ever to win the super bowl mvp on a losing team that's right that's right played linebacker till he's 37 years old and uh, not only made all pro in the old NFL, but when the leagues merged and now you had twice as many players, he made all pro uh, when the leagues mer uh, joined. And even the AFC players knew this guy was a great, great player, even though they hadn't seen a lot of them having been in the AFL previous to that. But uh, that being said, Ken Riley, circle back. So Marcus, Ken Riley plays for 15 years. Okay. I think he got named first team all pro twice, but he never made a pro bowl his entire career. Do you have a problem with a guy making the Hall of Fame? Because that was the that was the knock on Ken Riley. I mean, how else do you explain a guy that has 65 career interceptions not making the Hall of Fame <clears throat> until now? He retired in 1983. What do you think of that? It doesn't bother me, right? Because the Pro Bowl is a little bit of a popularity contest. And it sometimes just depends on the strength of your conference, right? If your conference has really awesome cornerbacks that have been there for a decade – and they're just a little bit better than you, you might not make a Pro Bowl. But there are also going to be times where, oh, man, the, the cornerback pool is really weak and somebody else gets five Pro Bowl nominations when they're really not that type of player. So, no, it doesn't bother me at all. Would you say like a, an interception-heavy season would be five or more for a corner? Oh, I, yeah, five for sure, yes. Okay. If we just go with five, Ken Riley had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons, seven with five or more interceptions. His last year, last year in the league, excuse me, 1982, his second to last year, he had five interceptions in nine games with a pick six. His last year in the league, he's 36 years old, dude. He picks off eight balls, which ties for the lead in the AFC and has two pick sixes and his name <clears throat> first team all pro, but doesn't make the pro bowl retires after that. Um, I, I just think it's a very, very unusual career. In fact, that's his only first team AP all pro was his last year when he's 36 years old. Pretty incredible. Definitely deserved yeah. to make the hall of fame. Like I said, for the most part, I thought it was really cool that they got uh, most of the names, right? I think this is a really good class. Last hall of fame question from me here. So Don Coriel made it. Um, mm -hmm. Don Coriel never really won big. His teams made the AFC championship in excuse me 80 and 81 and they lost but he really helped revolutionize 
uh, modern offense. In fact, the offense that the Cowboys won their three Super Bowls with in 92, 93, 95 was Don Coryell's offense. It's the same offense. Well, uh, there's a go ahead. As I say, in the NFL, most teams are using a, a, a variation of the air Coryell right now. I know the Dallas Cowboys, even last year, mostly used uh, aerial concepts. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but it's just, it's still prevalent in today's NFL. I like that. It's Air Coriel. You just called it Ariel. I like that. Ariel, the Air Ariel. Coriel, sorry. Yeah, but they should know, but I like that. The Ariel offense. I don't know why that Air didn't Coriel catch on. That, Air, Ariel sounds way better, bro. Way uh, better. Sure. Uh, I would say this. Uh, it doesn't bother me if an innovator makes the Hall of Fame, even if they don't ever make it to a Super Bowl. A, does that does that bother you at all? And B, do you think we should start looking at coordinators who change the league? that maybe weren't successful head coaches or didn't coach at all as Hall of Famers. Yes, because I want my guy, Alex Gibbs, who was an offensive line slash run game coordinator in the Hall of Fame, right? Because everybody uses Alex Gibbs' zone blocking scheme in the NFL. So yeah, I, I agree. Innovators, coordinators, all these guys should all be up for consideration. That's a great call. I wasn't even thinking about Alex Gibbs. That is a phenomenal call. You know, every once in a while, Marcus comes with something, you know? And you wonder, what's his contribution to this podcast? And I, then he delivered – you just dropped a dime, bro. You dropped a dime. Gibbs, I believe, started that with the Broncos. Mm-hmm. And that's where they had that run of backs when you were a kid. It was uh, – after Trill which Davis, it, it was a, a Landis Carey, right? Which your favorite? <laughs> Probably the guy um, – oh, gosh, now I'm forgetting his name. Doggone it, 2000. Mike Anderson, the guy that had – Been a fullback <laughs> for him? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Had like 1,500 yards out of nowhere. I think he had been in the armed forces yeah. and was like an older rookie. Um, they had Tatum Bell. I was going to say, Tatum, I was a Tatum Bell guy, but <laughs> Atlanta's uh, Ruben, scary for a little bit, but. Yeah. Uh, Ruben Drones, wasn't that yeah, one of them? Yeah. Former Cleveland and then of course, Brown. Yeah. Uh, Clinton Portis as well. Um, mine would be a guy that's already in the Hall of Fame as a player. Uh, Dick LeBeau. Uh, Dick LeBeau in 1984-85, he was Bengals uh, defensive coordinator. He started toying around with uh, a, a zone blitz game. And what's phenomenal about this is, number one, every defense now will drop a defensive lineman in coverage on you mm-hmm. and surprise you. We see interceptions like that. We see passes batted do- down like that. It used to be your defensive lineman played defensive line. They didn't drop ever into coverage. I think the most famous example of this would be B.J. Raji dropping in coverage. Remember yeah. against uh, – was that Caleb Haney, I think? That yeah, he, I think so. Took it for a touchdown. <clears throat> yeah, that was Dom Capers' defense. Dom Capers got that from Dick LeBeau. The other amazing thing about this is when Dick LeBeau was developing the zone blitz um, in 1985-ish, Sam Weish was developing the no-huddle offense. Sam Weish was the Bengals' head coach. Dick LeBeau was the defensive coordinator. Literally, the Cincinnati Bengals of the mid to late 80s changed football as we know it because every team runs no huddle now. But in 1988, when the Bengals were running no huddle, they had the best offense in the league. They made it all the way to the Super Bowl and defenses didn't know how to cope. So I'm all for a guy like Sam Weish or especially Dick LeBeau um, being considered. I I think those kind of guys, I don't know if you have any others, but those are two that pop into my mind. I mean, I'm kind of oh, joking, boy. but oh, Chip boy. Kelly really did bring the RPO to the NFL, which everybody uses now. Yeah, there was a guy named Clark Shaughnessy in the 40s who basically developed 
uh, what's the modern man in motion style offense. Yeah. There's all sorts of people like this in history. And I, I, I've all, often wondered like, you know, how strong is their candidacy if that's all they have? I think, I, Corey I, think Ells- Bow, I mean, considering what he did in Pittsburgh and the Super Bowls that they won and the number one ranked defenses they had, I, I think you could make a really strong case that he deserves to be in as a coach. Yeah, dude, they're 05 and 08 personnel group. Oh my gosh. I mean, LeBeau was great, but man, he had, and he would be the first to tell you, I know Dick, he would tell you, man, my players were great. And uh, one of my favorite hall of fame moment moments was the enshrinement where Dick LeBeau got enshrined and Mike Tomlin, the Steelers gave all the players uh, two days off training camp and they all went to Canton together. And we're in, I don't know if you remember that. And they were all in the cheering section for LeBeau. I thought that was the, the coolest thing ever. Um, but anyway, I'd like to see that. I know you have been a big proponent of special teamers in the hall. Is Devin Hester your number one guy in that regard? Or is it, is it Josh Cribbs? I mean, are, are we going to talk, talk about Cordero Patterson even as a hall of famer at some point? I mean, we should have the greatest kick returner of all time. I think the problem is, is we've got so many guys now like Steve Tasker, not in, I kind of think we need to get, we just need to get one in for the floodgates to start opening. Uh, so I'm going to turn this around on you. If, if we're, we remove kickers, right? Because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I personally believe that Adam Vinatieri will get in. I think Tucker. Justin Tucker will get in. Yeah. Great guy is already in the Hall of Fame. When do we get a specialist, a specialist returner or gunner into the Hall? I think it's going to happen before too long, and I and and I personally think that it's not going to be Hester. I think it's going to be Tasker. Uh, that's my guess. I could be wrong on that, um, but. You know, you just mentioned Tucker. Uh, you know, Matthew Slater is, uh, you know, a guy that I think will come up. And, you know, you can snicker about Cordero Patterson, but when Marcus says he's the greatest kick returner ever, really statistically, yeah. I don't know that it's that close. <laughs> I just don't know that it is. I want to go back to Slater really quickly. He has made 10 Pro Bowls in his career. How do you not at least have him as a finalist? I think you have to now, whether the Pro Bowl's a popularity contest or not, fine. But I've seen Matt Slater make a lot of plays. I've seen him make a lot of plays. And honestly, part of that, fair or unfair, is because the Patriots are the national game a lot. And so I've seen Slater over the years make those plays. But um, Tasker was a dominant special teams player. And uh, Devin Hester is a guy that you obviously uh, are big on. I, I, just wonder how long it's going to take for a guy like Hester to make it. Yeah, I agree. I want Hester to make it really bad. I just, I've never seen a more dynamic kick and punt returner. And he did a little bit on offense at the end of his career. So get him in. Uh, Last thing for me here. um, I mentioned that I supported Chuck Halley's candidacy a lot. Look, Chuck Halley is a cowboy from a different era. He played for the Cowboys before they were America's team. For they were a Super Bowl, you know, winning team. And I really hope that Cowboy fans or the Cowboys do something to honor him. Um, Chuck Halley, I believe, is 86 years old. And Marcus, I love seeing a guy make the Hall of Fame while he's alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are just so many guys. Like Ken Stabler, Stabler made it the year after he passed away. I just enjoy seeing there was a guy named Jack Butler who played for the Steelers. He made it about eight or nine years ago. And he got to go up there on stage, you know, and I, I think that's 
awesome. And I really want to see more of that. And I'm not saying that we should put an undeserving guy in the hall of fame just because he's still living. But if it's really close, can we, can we, you know, if we, if, if in your mind, a guy is a hall of famer, as you say, look, a guy's either a hall of famer or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's make a push to get these guys in while their family can enjoy it with their grandfather, you know, um, Maybe a weird point to make uh, today, but it's just something I I thought about. But that's my final thought. Uh, As always, I give you the final thought. What do you got? I mean, I know I have a Cowboys bias, so please take this with the greatest salt. But I I feel like there's one guy that got snubbed. It's Darren Woodson. I I don't understand how Woodson has had to wait this long. When you talk about how good he was in the 90s, all the different positions that he played. And I know this doesn't count, but... I like players that could play in any era, and there's absolutely no doubt that Darren Woodson could play in today's era of football. Like he would be the most one of the most valuable defensive players because he could play in the slot, he could play free safety, he can play as a linebacker. You can use him as a blitzer. It's just a bummer that Woodson's had to wait this long. All right, I gave you the final thought, but you can't talk about Darren Woodson, and I just sit here and be quiet. Go ahead. I don't care yeah, you, if you, you have a. Up. I know you have a tea time coming up, but here's the deal. In February. What, <laughs> when Brian Dawkins came in the league, I remember I, I used to subscribe to Football Digest and this little football magazine, Dinky Doo. I loved it. And I remember Brian Dawkins saying in there that he patterned his game after Darren Woodson because Darren Woodson could literally do it all, just like Marcus said. Uh, I remember working with Jason Seahorn. Jason Seahorn said to me when I asked him, you know, who was the best Cowboys player in your mind of those triplets? And he said, actually, it's Woodson. And I said, why? Why Woodson over Aikman, Emmett, Irvin? He goes, because when we went out there and we ran three three wide on third down or second and long, the Cowboys didn't have to sub. He yep. said Woody would just literally walk up from his safety spot and cover the slot. And, and then I, that didn't necessarily work in your favor no. because if you've got a, a great run-stopping safety, Marcus, lining up to cover the slot, he's now closer to the line of scrimmage. So mm-hmm. you don't want to run to that side. You're going to run the the other way. He's a Cowboys all-time leading tackler. Um, he opted out of the Pro Bowl. He made, I think, five in a row, and he opted out one year because of injury. And John Lynch, I think, got in there, and Woodson never made it again. And I think he probably regrets that, opting out because of injury, um, because, like I said, he didn't make it again. But I, I can't agree with you anymore. He was a true team leader, a great player, and as you said, he could do it all. I, I'm with you. Yeah, get him into the hall next year. I know we're we're getting a lot of safeties that are coming up here in the next couple of years, but he deserves to be in it. Three straight uh, All Pros uh, in the in the early nineties. Get him in. Yeah, on on really good teams, and also a good special teams player before he yeah. got to be a starter uh, in ninety two. Uh, he's got three Super Bowl rings, man. I mean, like he's got all the tiebreakers. I guess is what I'm trying to say. He has the stuff. And then when you add the other stuff, I sound like John Madden. There's no way that he's not a Hall of Famer. But a uh, good thought from you. Uh, I'd love to hear more of this on Locked On Cowboys, which you can catch uh, every day. Marcus does it with Landon McCool. Give Landon a follow on Twitter. Uh, Landon does a great job over there, and he's a big fan of ours. At least that's what I hear. Uh, also, Marcus covers the Raiders for USA Today, uh, which he's really excited about right now. Except not really. And he writes for PFF.com. What's your next article on PFF? Uh, probably a mock doing? draft coming out next week. Oh, gosh. Mock draft is like the ultimate low-hanging fruit. I know, but they get millions of views, so I don't complain. Mock drafts are like the Grand Theft Auto of video gaming. Heck, yeah. They're 
you know, you just put out a new title and people are going to buy it. And, the, you know, the Madden of, of that's sorry, that's the a, Madden. Yeah. Sorry. Madden's a better example. Yeah. My bad. My bad. Good. By the way, we just, you. we both got PlayStation twos in the last month. So we're talking about <laughs> video games some more. Yeah. I'm going to try this game. I've never even had never even heard of shadows of the Colossus. I think is what it's called. I'm going to try I'm a game from some, 20 years ago. I'm playing some, uh, tiger woods, PGA 2005. A little bit of Gran Turismo this week. So. Uh, yeah, I was saying, I thought you were on the GT3 uh, train. Oh, I right am. I'm, I'm almost done with the game. So That game was so incredible when it came out. I could not get over the graphics of that game. Of course, this is like 2002 or whatever. But uh, again, apologies for the non-gamers. Uh, we're going to peace out here. He's at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. I'm at Harrison NFL on Twitter. We really appreciate you guys. We will talk to you at the beginning of next week. I hope you enjoyed the award ceremony and take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.